are in uh, week number three of a message series called Run With It. It's where we've been talking about vision and we're believing that God has some big things in store for your life. I do just want to hit pause for a moment and give honor where honor is due. If you're here with us for the first time, we're so grateful that you chose to spend your Sunday morning. Church, can you help me say hello to all of our first time guests? Come on, come on. And hey, if you're tuning in online with us, we want to say welcome to you as well. We believe that you're not watching this by accident, that God has a reason why you're here. So excited that you're here with us. A week number three of a message series called Run With It. Our theme verse for this series is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. And Habakkuk's been asking the Lord to give him some answers to some problems. And this is what it says. It says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he who reads it may run with it. And I don't know if you grew up in church. I don't know if you have been around church your entire life. But here's what I do know. Sometimes we come to church and we leave more confused than we came in with. Right? Like we leave and we don't really know. Okay, man, that was great. You talked about how God was all powerful and darkness trembles. And I love that. But, but I don't even know what to do tomorrow. And so we want to give you some really practical things because we believe that God has a vision for your life. He's made it really clear all throughout Scripture, and we talk about that in this course that we have called Discover, where we can show you hundreds of places throughout Scripture where we see that God has these four things that he wants to do in your life. But this is not just a vision for our church. It's a vision for our lives because the church is not a building. It's a people. And so the vision here at Propel Church goes like this, and I want you to say it with me. Know God. Find freedom. Discover purpose. And make a difference. See, we believe you were made to know God. And as you start on your journey of knowing God, there's going to be some things that come up that he wants to get rid of. There's going to be some things that you and I have been carrying, some weights that we've held on to that God wants to help us find freedom from. And then after, as we're finding freedom, we get to discover how we were uniquely designed, and then we can do something that makes a difference in the world. And so we want to help you do that. If you have a Bible, I'm going to talk to you about finding freedom today because I just believe that that God desires to do big things in our lives? Come on, nobody agrees. All right, so I had to help 9 a.m. too. So here's the thing. I know sometimes when somebody's talking, you're like, it's rude to talk. But there's this one thing that's acceptable. That's where you respond to a pastor when he's teaching. So I'm going to say something, and you're going to be like, oh, that's so good. And you could sit there, and you could just, like, keep it to yourself. Or you can be like, hey, you're doing a really good job. And by doing it, you're going to be like, amen. So turn to somebody and say, Amen. Turn to the person you neglected. Say amen. amen. All right? So if you, if you don't like it, maybe amen's not your thing, right? Just, mm, you know, just, mm, just hit, hit one of those real quick, and uh, it, it'll be great. I promise. I'll preach 62% better if you respond while I talk. So God has an incredible plan for your life. Amen. All right. So we, we believe that. If you have a Bible, Mark chapter 5, verse 20. Mark chapter 5, verse 20. This is what it says. It says, so the man went away, and he began to tell in the Decapolis. Decapolis means ten towns. How much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. See, we believe that God has an amazing plan for your life, and he wants to do amazing things in your life. But truthfully, where find freedom comes into play is this, if you're taking notes. Before God does something through you, he wants to do something in you. Oftentimes, if you and I just pursue the things of God and we're going after God, but we don't let God go take us through a refining process, we'll end up getting to a place where our character can't sustain the platform he's entrusted us with. 
And so we, 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 we desire spotlights, right? Like if I were to say, do you, do you want a little bit of fame? Do you want a little bit of attention in your life? You'd go, yeah, probably. But what we don't understand is that with every light comes a shadow. And if you don't deal with some of those shadows on the front end, you're going to be in the place where your character is crushed under the weight of influence. And God doesn't want to do that to you. I believe some of you, God has put you on hold because your character is not developed to a place yet where you can sustain where he wants to take you. So we want to talk about finding freedom today. And we started at the end of this passage of scripture in Mark chapter 5 because we see a guy who God does incredible things through. He's going and he's telling people about Jesus and that's amazing. But his story doesn't start out that way. And in just a second, we're going to go back to the beginning of this passage of Scripture and walk through it kind of verse by verse. But before I do that, I want to show you the photo of this guy named Shrek the Sheep. Now, that's a fluffy sheep, isn't it? So Shrek's story is incredibly interesting because he was a part of um, the flock, but one day he left. He went to do his own thing. And they found Shrek six years later. He'd been gone for six years now, he didn't have a shepherd over the course of those six years to kind of shear his wool, to kind of handle his fleece. And when they got him back, they realized that his fleece weighed about 60 pounds. Now, if you know anything about sheep, you, which you probably don't, right? Like, no one in here is going, I have incredible sheep knowledge, you know? So, <laughs> but the average fleece of a sheep weighs about 10 pounds, maxing out at 15. So Shrek has been gone from the shepherd for so long that he's carrying a weight that's six times more than he was ever intended to carry. And I think sometimes in your life and in my life, we get to the place where we're carrying more than God designed us for. So what God wants you and I to do today is to let him step in to remove some things in our life so that you can continue to walk in all that he has. So we'll go back to Mark chapter 5. I'm going to kick it off in verse 3, but just to bring you up to speed with what verse 1 and 2 look like. Jesus has just come from one side of the lake to the other. He's getting out of the boat, and he's going to encounter a man that's demon-possessed. As he encounters this man who's demon-possessed, no one has wanted anything to do with this guy for a long time, mostly because of his geographical location and his strength. So this is what it says in Mark chapter 5, verse 3 that he lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore. So, so we know this guy's obviously got some issues because he's living in a graveyard. You ever met a normal person that lives in a graveyard? The answer's no. It's not a normal place for people. It's weird. It's got some issues going on. So he's living among the tombs. No one was able to restrain him anymore, even with a chain, because he was often bound with shackles and chains, but he tore the chains apart and he smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. So what's interesting about this passage of scripture and this demon-possessed man that we find in Mark chapter 5, yeah, it's, it's great. Jesus is rolling up onto the scene. In a second, he's going to have the opportunity to have a face-to-face -face encounter with him because even if you're broken, God wants to have a face-to-face -face encounter with you. Even if you've got issues, God isn't afraid of those. In fact, he died for them. But we see from the beginning of this story that there's a man who's demon-possessed, and on the outside, he looks really strong. Right? The Incredible Hulk is a biblical character. Every time they chain him up, he breaks the shackles. 
every time they try and subdue him, he gets set free because he's breaking things over and over. So outwardly, he looks incredibly strong. But we see day and night, he's crying and cutting himself. So outwardly, he looks like he's got it all together, like he's strong. But inwardly, he's so broken. Second thing I have for you this morning is how you deal with internal pain will lead you to freedom or bondage. So look, we in life all experience pain. In fact, pain in our lives actually begins at the moment of birth. You've, you've gone through things growing up and they caused you a ton of pain. There were things that happened to you when you were a kid in elementary school and it caused you pain. There were things that happened in middle school and high school. They caused you pain. There were interactions that you had with your parents that caused you pain. And sometimes what we think is that when we meet Jesus, then we just live pain-free from that point forward. <laughs> Whoever told you that lied. Like they're lying. Because you're going to get wounded. The difference is how you deal with those wounds. This man had a lot going on inside of himself to the point where he didn't know how to deal with the pain he was experiencing, so he resorted to self-inflicting pain. And the first time I looked at that, I was like, man, I don't understand that at all, but I will say that there was a season of my life where I was stuck in a drug addiction, where I was day in and day out self-inflicting pain upon myself. Like I, I, I had all these issues going on inside of me that I didn't know how to deal with. I was confused. I was angry. And so what I would do in those moments is just find a temporary moment of relief so that I could escape for a second. And what I thought was actually giving me freedom ended up being the very thing that enslaved me. I think sometimes you and I get really deceived. We, we seek relief in the wrong things, and in doing so, we end up enslaved by the thing that once brought us comfort or relief. This is what 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says. Paul, Paul's talking and Paul's saying, hey, look, everything is permissible for me. It means I can do it, but it doesn't mean it's beneficial. So, so people ask from time to time, like, pastor, you know, where do you stand on, on drinking? Look, I don't, I don't have a problem with drinking, but here's what Paul says. Look, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You got to be really careful that you don't just come home at night and try and take the edge off with a few drinks because what you think one day will give you relief will end up being the very thing that throws you into slavery later. Your brain is wired that way. Your brain is actually wired. It, you create neuropathways in your brain every time you find relief from something. So you find relief through drinking. I don't know anybody who ever set out and went, think I'll become an alcoholic. I think I'll become a drug addict. Like, it's not, that's not how it starts. No, if you and I are turning to things when we get in, into, when we experience pain, if we're turning to anything other than Jesus, what we think brings us relief will end up being the very thing that throws us into slavery. So when we first started the church, um, you know, I was a youth pastor for three and a half years and, and was serving God. And, and you know, honestly, I thought I knew it all, right? Like, I know those of you who know me, you're like, no, this guy, he would never think that. <laughs> right, humble. So, um, so I thought I knew it all, and I was sitting down with church planters, and we were talking kind of about the, the church planting journey, and they said, hey, just want to make you aware of something that's, that's going to happen. There's going to be people who you start the church with that, like, three, six months down the road, they're going to get weird, and they're, they're going to leave. Like, they're just going to, and I was like, yeah, but, like, 
that's your church and that's not my church. I mean, like, come on, they're not leaving. The, you know, like, <laughs> we're good. We're good. Um, and so we launched a church in September and we're now in December. It's the day, the day of the Mount Pleasant Christmas Parade. And I'm having uh, breakfast with one of the guys who was on our staff. And we sit down for breakfast and I'm thinking, like, come on, Jesus, I can't wait for an omelet, you know. Um, but then for the next 45 minutes, he proceeds to, to go through a laundry list of things that he has issues with me of and the way I lead and the way I do things. And pro tip, um, wait for the food in the check, you know. Like, I'm just like, we didn't even have our food yet. And I wasn't going to pass a meal. So like, now i got to sit and eat with you during this whole thing. So, so we're sitting down and we're talking. And, and here's what happened. I got done with that breakfast. And, and honestly, I felt like I was a human punching bag for about 45 minutes. I got out of that meeting and I had to go straight into the Christmas parade. And, and, and I'm the pastor of this new church. There's like 30 people who show up. And like, I, I got to be strong for people. So, so I just took all that pain and I just buried it. And I was like, oh, just, just shove it down and keep building. Don't worry about the pain. You keep building the church. Don't worry. The problem is when you bury and keep building, what you build on is unstable foundation. So we got like two years into the church and I started making decisions and I started looking at people and, and because I wasn't dealing with the pain of people leaving and kind of grieving that process, it's a natural part of this thing. There's people who started the journey that aren't on, like it's, it's part of it because I hadn't dealt with that. What I thought is if I just work hard enough, then they'll know my value and they'll stay. I started seeking relief in working and gaining people's approval. And it led me to the place where I realized that man, I had some foundational things that weren't built on Christ. And so today you need to assess whatever you've got going on in your life. Is whatever's going on, your, the pain that you're experiencing, where you choose to turn is going to either lead you into bondage or into freedom. We'll keep going into verse 6 of Mark chapter 5. It says this, And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he knelt down before him. The good news for you and I, if we're experiencing pain, if we're like this demon-possessed guy, maybe we're self-inflicting pain, or we're just broken and have a ton of issues, the best thing that we can do today is just simply run to the feet of Jesus. So he ran and he knelt down before him and he cries out with a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? He asked them. And he says, my name is Legion because we are many. And he begged him to not send them out into the region. Next point that I have for you is that your struggle is no match for our savior. One of the things that I love is that no matter what you and I are currently experiencing, no matter what our struggle is, it may seem like it's incredibly big. And it is to overcome with human strength. But by divine intervention, there is nothing that's too powerful for our God. Because God is bigger and he is stronger and he is greater. The greatest thing that stands in our life, the biggest opposition would be death. And yet Jesus overcame it. And now what, Christ, what scripture says is that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, it now lives in us. Like that saving power, that rescuing power is readily available for every single one of us, despite what our struggles may be. I think it's interesting, though, that 
the demon in this story would refer to himself as he's having a conversation with Jesus as legion. Legion in this period of time was a military term that stood for 6,726 soldiers. So there's two forms of thought, right? The demons that are inside this man are either saying that there are 6,726 of us who currently occupy this individual. Don't know how much you know about demon possession? That's a lot. A lot. Or when you think about how so, so there's, a, there's a real battle going on in the spiritual. I've got 17 minutes. That's, I'm a, just worship team, I'm going to break it. I, I don't try and do it often, but it's 1030, right? No, I'm just, so. so there's a war going on in the spiritual. You've got God and then you've got Satan. And Satan isn't omnipresent as God is, which means he can't exist in multiple spaces. So he has forces that he trains up. One of the names of Satan is the father of lies. And so I think in this moment, he could be possessed by 6,726 demons. Or what Satan would really love for you and I to think is that he's bigger than he really is. I wonder how many times you and I buy into the lies of the enemy that our struggle is actually bigger than what it really is. See, because we think that the enemy's really big and we think that he's really powerful. But what scripture tells us over and over and over again is that he is just crushed under our heel. That there is no weapon that forms against us that prospers. That if you're in Christ, he that is in you is greater than anything that's in the world. So take hope in that. Take hope in the fact that your struggle, no matter what you're facing or what you're experiencing, God is bigger than that. I think the enemy wants you and I to buy into the fact that we will forever be enslaved by our struggle. But Jesus has full authority over every attack of the enemy on your life. That when the enemy comes against you, when the enemy tries to enslave you, Christ is greater every single time. So if you're here today and you're stuck in a drug addiction, I want you to hear me say that your struggle is no match for our Savior. If you're here today and you are just so angry and bitter by the things that have taken place in your life, your struggle is no match for our Savior. If your marriage is broken, your struggle is no match for our Savior. If you're crippled by depression, your struggle is no match for our Savior. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through. So the next passage in verse 11, it says this, that there was a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillsides. So the demons begged him, send us into the pigs so that we may enter them. So Jesus gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. Have you ever sat back and while you were reading scripture just gone, why? <laughs> why? 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 Why would the demons want to be thrown into a herd of pigs rather than being scattered out throughout the region? Like, why? Okay, so so when I used to I used to travel and teach a lot, and I still still do. But um, early on, this was kind of one of those messages where I would keep in my back pocket when I travel to churches and preach. I just kind of talk about it because it's just there's so much great, incredible content um, in it. And you know, I used to think that maybe Jesus was 
preaching to a primarily vegetarian audience and, and demon-possessed bacon was just like a good, like that's how you win the crowd. But, but the more I started looking at it and the more I started reading it, one of the things that I noticed is, you know, pigs were considered to be some of the most unclean animals in this time. They weren't a part of the Jewish diet. They were considered unclean and filthy. And Jesus is also in a Jewish region. And so not only are there animals who are considered filthy and unclean, but there's these Jewish people that have this illegal enterprise going on. And so when the demons go, hey, you know what? We've, we, we've got, uh, there's a herd of pigs, send us into there. Jesus gets to set a guy free and kill off an illegal enterprise at the same time. It's a double win for Jesus. But you know what I really believe as I was kind of preparing, one of the things that God spoke to me is that God is removing the things that are not of him so that you and I can walk in freedom. Because the demons that were inside of this man weren't from God. God didn't design you and I to live our lives in slavery and in captivity. And what God wants to do is he wants to kill the things that are not of him so that we can become more like him. If there's things in your life and in my life that we currently are holding on to that are not God's best, they're not a part of God's purpose or God's plan for our life, then what God is challenging you and I to do in 2020 is to not continue to hold on to them, but to allow him to remove them. Because God is not a forcer, he's a fulfiller. So God doesn't just come into your life and like with a wrecking ball, crush everything, unless you say you can. Unless you let God tear every wall of your house and rebuild it from the foundation up, God doesn't just come in and kick open doors. He says, if you open the door, man, I'll walk through. So if you give God permission, if you run to his feet, he'll begin to remove the things off of your life that are not of him so that you can grow in your relationship with him. And I think the the biggest struggle, we talked last week about knowing God and how our walks, our lives with Jesus weren't going to be these things where we just rode and worked for it. No, we were going to open our sail and allow the breath of God to move. But oftentimes when we're trying to follow Jesus, the natural tendency is to try and walk in new life while still having one hand on the way we used to do things. Like to hold our old life, to hold our old way of living. And you can never walk in new life and old life at the same time. It doesn't work. Old life always wins. If you want to go back into scripture, so Peter, disciple of Jesus, Jesus finds Peter fishing in a boat. They're talking, they're having a conversation. It's it's great. He says, oh, you like fishing now? Come follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. And Peter's like, done, I'm in right? Peter messes up over and over and over again. He ends up denying Jesus right before Jesus is crucified. Jesus dies and is resurrected. And do you know where Jesus finds Peter? Back fishing. He had one hand on the old life. And when things got a little bit rocky or he felt like his mistakes disqualified him, he just went back to what he used to do. God wants to remove those things so that you and I can walk in new life. So Shrek, the sheep, um, they finally found him. His shepherd found him, right, big and fluffy, 60 pounds of fleece, carrying more than he was designed to carry. His shepherd brought him back, and he sits down, and he begins to, to shear his fleece. And as he's taking care of it, what took six years of wait to build took 28 minutes to take care of. And I think sometimes in our lives, what took years for us to build and carry God can handle in minutes and seconds. We just have to come back to the shepherd. 
We just have to let God step in and actually begin to remove some things from our life. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 says this. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on the new nature created to be like God. So it doesn't say you are God, right? There's some religions out there that teach you, you start to follow Jesus, you become God. You don't, and you never will. And that's something to thank God for, right? Like, that'd be way too much power for me. You don't become like God. But you and I have to know we were created to be like God. We were created to do life with him. We were created to walk in perfection, righteousness, and holiness with him. But what's required of us is to let the Spirit renew our thoughts, to let God renew our attitudes. We're not going into this thinking that the behavior modification is the goal, but you do need to know that when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you allow God to change you from the inside out, yeah, your behavior and your attitude changes. Your thoughts change. Things begin to shift. So it says to put on this new way of living truly righteous and holy to be righteous is to have right standing with God. And one of the things that I was just really convicted of in 2020 and challenged with is, is that if there's something in my life that's killing my right standing with God, it's not worth it. If there's anything that's robbing me of holiness, it's not worth it in 2020. So this man is set free and it's incredible because Jesus removes the the demons from him. And then scripture says that he was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. Like the man found pants. That's a win. You can go back and read that verse for yourself. So he's sitting there fully clothed, perfectly sane. And the townspeople are freaking out. They're, they're like, and there's, I don't know what to do with him, right? We, we didn't know what to do with him when he was demon possessed. But now he's like normal again. He's changed. And I, I feel that, right? So, so when I gave my life to Jesus, it was August 1st of 2011. And, and the week before, I was a drug dealer, and I came back, and I was like, I'm going to be a pastor, right? Like, people were like, what are you talking about? They didn't know what to do with me. Because sometimes, sometimes what you and I will do is we'll try and use human reasoning to explain divine intervention. And you won't get it. I, I can't explain how God changed my life. I just see the effects of it. So he's sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane. They don't know what to do. So they look at Jesus and they're like, hey, thanks for doing that, but you're kind of freaking us out. Can you leave? <laughs> and so Jesus is like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll leave. So he's getting back in the boat and he's going to go do more ministry because his mission's not over. He's got more stuff to do. Jesus is climbing into the boat and all of a sudden this de former demon-possessed man, the guy who's fully clothed and perfectly sane, is running as fast as he can to get in the boat with Jesus. He's trying to get into the boat with Jesus because Jesus is really the only person who was willing to come meet him where he was at. Everybody else was afraid of him. Everybody else was afraid of his brokenness and afraid of his issues and afraid of his mistakes. And he looked strong on the outside but was broken on the inside. And Jesus wasn't afraid of any of that. Jesus just walks up and begins to have a conversation with him. The first time in this guy's life since he's become demon-possessed, there's somebody who actually cares about his brokenness rather than just leaving him the way he is. And so he's sitting there and he's going, that's what, I want to be with that guy. Like, I just want to sit and be with Jesus. 
And I think so often that's what you and I do in church. So God saved us, God rescued us, he redeemed us, and then we just want to come in and sit because it's like, man, Jesus is really good. But Jesus doesn't let him into the boat. In fact, he says in the next verse, but Jesus said to him, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been. See, Jesus doesn't say, here's what I want you to do. Do me a favor. Um, yes, you just got saved. We just removed possibly 6,726 demons from you. And after doing that removal, I think really what you should do is go through a four-year program, learn how to tell people about Jesus, go spend some time in the temple, do a little bit of study and do a little bit of reading, and then go tell everybody how awesome I am. Jesus says, oh yeah, that happened 10 minutes ago? Do me a favor. You can't go with me because I got a big plan for your life. Go home and tell your family and tell them everything. Don't, don't hold back. Tell them about the fact that you were broken. Tell them about the fact that you used to hurt yourself. Tell them about the pain that you experienced that you didn't know how to deal with. Go, go home and start to tell the people who knew you before me how incredible life is now and how merciful I've been. It's probably the greatest news of all is that you and I don't deserve God's grace, but he gives it. Like scripture is really clear. What we deserve was wrath because of sin. But thankfully, God gave Jesus what we deserved so that we could receive what he deserves. So then we get to verse 20 again. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region. And he began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. The reason why finding freedom is so important because I think God removes things from our lives to fill it with new things that come from him. When this guy was demon possessed, he lacked joy, he lacked fulfillment, he was lonely, he was just sitting in his pain didn't know what to do with it at all. When Jesus stepped in, he removed those old things. And he gave him purpose. He gave him direction. He gave him freedom. And I think there's some things that you and I have been holding on to that God would say, man, I've got so much more in store for you if you just simply let it go. You've been holding on, you've been trying to do it, if you'll let it go, I promise there's more. You and I can't talk about discovering purpose and making a difference if we don't deal with the freedom stuff, if we don't deal with the mess of our brokenness, if we don't deal with the pain of our past. So I have a question for you. What needs to die in your life today? Like after hearing the message, and, and, and here's one of the things, I intentionally didn't tell you what I think needs to die in your life. Because you don't need a relationship with me, you need a relationship with God. Right. And I think he does a way better job at loving you than I do. Yeah. Ask him what he wants you to give up. I, some of you don't even have to ask, because it's been that thing that keeps hitting your mind through the entire message. 
And God brought you to this moment today, not by accident, but to say, hey, there's some things in your life that are not of me. And today you can leave not carrying those things. So for just a moment, with every head bowed, every eye closed in the room, I believe that there are some of us in here who we can talk about the freedom stuff, but the truth is you've never taken the first step to run to Jesus. You've never made that first decision to say, hey, God, what I'm going to do is, is I'm not just going to sit in my brokenness. I'm not going to try and fix it myself or clean myself up. No. I'm going to come to God broken, knowing that he can fix things. And if that's you in here today and you say, hey, Jesus is not currently my Lord and Savior, but today I want to surrender my life to him. Would you do me a favor and just lift your hand up all around the room? Just boldly throw it up for just a minute. I see those. I see them. Here's what we're going to do, church. Nobody prays alone. We all pray together. Say this with me. Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, stay seated for a moment. Keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. Because I, I believe we talk to people who need to make a decision to begin to follow Jesus. But there's some of us who have been following Jesus. And the truth is, we're carrying weights we weren't designed to carry. That we're carrying more than God has given us. And there's some things that God's revealed over the course of this message that we need to let go of this morning. And so what I want you to do, because I believe declarations matter, is if you're in here and you'd say, hey, I came in carrying something and God is saying today I need to lay it down and leave it. If that's you, would you lift your hand for a moment and say, hey, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. All around the room. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer of freedom over you and then we're going to stand and worship. Father, we thank you so much for the, the hundreds of people today who have said, hey, I'm not going to stay in the same spot I'm in. I'm not going to continue to carry something that you're saying let go of. Father, I pray for boldness and courage to walk out their relationship with you. I pray you'd give them strength when they feel the natural tendency to lean back into old ways of living. And God, that you would show them that you not only have an incredible plan for their life, but you desire to fill their life with purpose, fulfillment, and joy like never before. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, the entire church said, amen.